0: Violence. When we hear of corruption and quote-unquote violence, we think of rank sins. Adultery, theft, rape, drunkenness, robbery, murder. Unfortunately, it begins much more subtly than that, and we seldom pay attention until it is too late. We often don't pay attention because we are distracted by many of the good things that even a sinful society produces for us. This is exactly what happened in Noah's time, even among the faithful. Little compromises led to greater ones. Values and standards relax and slide. Soon, even godly men make poor decisions that impact all of society. Violence is a truly slippery slope, but it is one which we must take seriously, as painful as it may be, to do so. In a world filled with greedy men and all kinds of warfare, life for the faithful turns into a struggle, not only to survive, but also just to remain faithful. They must contend not only in self-defense, but also in self-discipline against the temptation to join corruption. After all, corruption always presents itself as profitable to us for health, for wealth, for well-being, or for pleasure. Three areas generally are the areas of temptation, lust, vanity or beauty, and pride. The Apostle John warned us of exactly these three, 1 John 2.16. They correspond exactly to the reasons Adam and Eve fell into sin with the fruit. So when the woman saw, one, that the tree was good for food, and two, that it was a delight to the eyes, and three, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Genesis 3.6 So it was in Noah's day as well. One of the main threats to faithfulness was gradual compromise with the society of rebellion, until eventually all conservative values were churned on their head and all but eradicated. The faithful held their beliefs dear, but they could look over at the civilizations of the sons of Cain and they could see forms of greatness they themselves did not have. They wanted the same wealth and well-being. After all, weren't they themselves the godly ones? Shouldn't they be the blessed and prosperous ones in society? Soon rationalizations followed. Were not the advances made by the sons of Cain legitimate in themselves after all? sure. The faithful knew that these advances were little more than the original dominion given to Adam, Genesis one26 26-28, even if it had come about for perverted purposes. The faithful knew they could keep the good, use it, and yet keep themselves pure from the evil. And truly, at first, they could. But over time, they began to compromise here and there. It was not enough to appropriate the good tools and methods, but soon men also began to join in the questionable legal and financial practices. Once in the circle, a precedent was set to go further, to aim for the inner circles of greater wealth and influence. But this advance always comes at a greater price. Soon, godly men were justifying outright sins and fraud in the name of taking dominion in the name of God. Before long, there was little difference between the two cultures at all. And then, the final line was crossed. One of the cardinal rules for God's people is that they only marry among their own, quote-unquote, family. That is, the faithful. Those who remain faithful to their God. There are rules for marriage. And this one is chief. Even for Christians today, this rule still holds. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. And everyone knew this from day one. If you asked anyone if they could mix marriages between believers and the rebellious, they would have told you no. Ask if they themselves would ever do such a thing, they would profess never. Yet they did it anyway. Why? Hypocrisy is rarely blatant and bald-faced. Rather, it usually rests on a series of very righteous-sounding rationalizations. I have no other choice. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as that guy. It's not this world that counts but the next. God will understand. God will forgive me. Or my favorite, it's just the lesser of two evils. People who continually justify small compromise after small compromise using the language of faithfulness will eventually find themselves calling evil good and good evil. When that time comes, A person will be labeled as radical, outdated, or old-fashioned who questions the conventional wisdom, or the wisdom so-called of the famous women of daytime talk shows. So it was in Noah's day. They looked at the sprawling civilizations of Cain's sons and saw the outward greatness of their cities and industries, but also their fashion and their beautiful women. They partook, gradually, of the quote-unquote blessings of that culture. Soon they faced their own sort of forbidden fruit. The faithful sons of God eyed the daughters of fallen men indiscriminately. Just as Eve saw that the forbidden fruit was good both for food and for delight, so the historical record says that the faithful men saw that these forbidden women were good Genesis Beautiful, sexy, and fecund. And just as Eve took that good fruit and ate, So these faithful men acted against their own better knowledge and consciences, and took whomever they desired for wives from among the unbelievers. In almost no time, these formerly faithful men were acting more depraved than the culture into which they married. The whole reason they appropriated the designs of that culture was because they believed they, the true sons of God, should be the most prosperous and renowned leaders of society. Their ambitions did not stop with their marriages. Lamech's son, Jabel had perfected the herding and breeding of cattle. He had developed selective breeding experiments to produce specific traits in his herds. The apostate sons of God appropriated this technology and applied it to their own progeny. They began Nazi-style genetic experiments, selecting for physical specimen in size and physique. They wanted dominant leaders for a dominant legacy. Genesis 6-4 From the extraordinary beyond-our-imagination gene pool of early humanity, these ambitious would-be rulers were able to breed giants among men. Some of these were literal giants, standing nine and possibly twelve feet tall, like the later Goliath. Some were giants in the sense of great world leaders with supreme cunning and intellect, commanding armies of workers and warriors. At that time, Even before Noah was born, God spoke to Noah's fathers. He said that he would not continue trying to persuade men through their conscience forever. He acknowledged that man was a combination of spirit and flesh, and that in this culture dominated by lusts, vanities, and pride, the flesh side was winning out. But God was extremely patient. He had already tolerated the gradual degeneration of societies over time for over two millennia. Now, in the last days of that era, God promised a final window of 120 years before He would change from mercy to wrath. But people did not heed the warnings. They were consumed with the outward appearances of prosperity, safety, national greatness, and wealth. They continued in their departure from the ways of faith. They still named the name of God, but lived according to their own dictates and made their own laws. They professed the name of God, but were living to make a name for themselves. Indeed, the historical record says that these quote-unquote giants became men of renown, or men of a name, Genesis 6:4. The more people pursued this course, the more the earth was filled with corruption and violence. Again, this is the pervasive violence that schemes, connives, and traps, cheats, intimidates, and bullies people legally, as far as it can, long before it breaks out in open robbery, rape, and murder, though those things do follow. This type of tyrannical violence justifies itself in the name of national security, order, economic security, and believe it or not, peace. Even worse, once this type of society has been established over generations, men begin to defend such wickedness in the name of traditional values. This type of social evil openly defies God's law, but cleverly lies within the bounds of man's laws. Justice is destroyed in the name of justice, and men are enriched through dishonest means that nevertheless lie just outside the reach of human justice. This is the true violence which destroys human society and which invites God's judgment. Society would never collapse merely due to open murders and thefts, It is too easy to acknowledge these as sin and to move men to erect institutions of protection against them. It is the termites of subversion and corruption that destroy societies in the name of goodness, truth, and beauty. Such violence grows up like a tree and spreads its branches into every area of life. A later prophet, Ezekiel, noted of the corrupt Israelite society of his day, Violence grows up into a rod of wickedness. It affects all of life and every life in it. Once this tipping point is reached, there is no more hope of saving all of society. Ezekiel concluded, Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth, neither shall there be preeminence among them. Ezekiel 7.11 So it was in Noah's day. God saw more than great wickedness. He saw that even the thoughts of these scheming men were nothing but evil constantly. For all their technological advance, they had only moral decline. For all their promises, the tools of power and wealth were used to advance only avarice and vice. Progress saved no one, but only dug their hole deeper. At this point, God determined to end it all and to save only a righteous remnant. Bypassing all those powerful, quote unquote, men of name, God went to the sole faithful father remaining. It was Noah. God gave him clear directions to preserve the faithful remnant. It was not going to be easy. In fact, it would expose Noah to ridicule and violence for nearly a century. But it is in times like these that the faithful are clearly separated from the rebellious, and the Compromised.